She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I am your host, Sarah Gorski, and I am joined again today by our guest, Miss Amelia Hamill. Hi, Amelia. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me again. Of course. This is where I want to be. We had such a great episode with you last week talking about Harriet Tubman, one of the most iconic broads, one of the most iconic black broads in U.S. history, for sure. For sure. And I wanted to bring you back and talk about another amazing, and she, she's not as iconic because I don't think her name is well known, but she's a really important broad, I feel like, in the discussions about um, the, the bullshit, the white on black bullshit that our, <laughs> that our country has, you know, yeah. propagated over and over again through the centuries. Um, have you ever heard of Carrie Johnson? Oh, interesting. Um, no, I don't think I actually have. I, so I've seen her name come up like a few times. Like when you look, when you Google around for like, when you do things like I do, like Google amazing black women and you see all these listicles because that's, you know, our society's built on listicles right now, or at least our generations are. Um, her name comes up a lot, um, but she's not very famous. And uh, a lot of people don't know her story. And I think it's because a lot of people, um, don't actually know a lot of kind of the race riot history in this country. Oh, okay. Um, I remember like when, uh, like, what was it? Like three or four years ago that that show came out. Oh my God, I'm like blanking out right now on the name of it. But um, it, it part of the show was like, it like opened on the Tulsa race riots. And um, I remember being like, what the fuck? This is part of American history. How come nobody told me about the Tulsa race riots? They're huge and the hugely disturbing period in American history. Um, but you're right. Most of us didn't hear about it until we were adults. No. And even then it's like I, this one, this TV show, this comic book TV show. It was the one with Regina King. I can't remember the name of the show. I'm totally blanking on it. Watchmen. Watchmen. Oh, sure. And so I, I watched the, title. the movie, but I had ever, I never actually watched the show. So. But the show like started with a whole scene in the Tulsa race riots. And I just remember like my, my mind was, I was like staring at the screen mouth open for like the entire hour long episode. Like it was just um, so disturbing to know that that was a part of American history and that it's part of American history that isn't really widely taught. And like, you know, a lot of, I feel like there's a, a number of people in this country, a huge population of, of folks who pretend like, like racism is over. I, it's harder to, I think that's harder to say now because we have some like very aggressive racism resurfacing. But like, I think a lot of people for a long time were like, oh, it's kind of over. And like, it, it, you know, we, it hasn't been a thing since slavery, since the civil war. And that is not fucking true. No, it's not true in the least. There has been a lot of really terrible things, you know, that are the Jim Crow laws, which basically extended slavery enslavement of black folks in this country and um a lot of other bullshit came with that so carrie carrie johnson her story takes place in actually in washington dc um in 1919 
And uh, that's when my grandmother was born. Really? Yeah. Is she still around today? She's not. She passed away in the oh. 80s. But. Rest in peace, Grandma. I know. Um, that's amazing you know that. I don't know the year my grandmother was born. I'm impressed with you, Amelia. <laughs> I remember the most ridiculous. Okay, so we're in 1919 in Washington, D.C. And so I didn't know very much about 1919. Uh, so I'm going to just give us all... I'm going to assume most of us are as ignorant as me, and I'm going to give us a little, a little bit of background. Um, the president in this time period is Woodrow Wilson. I didn't know very much about Woodrow Wilson, Amelia. Do you know anything about him? I mean, I would love to say yes, but probably not. <laughs> well, I didn't know much about him. Um, and uh, here's, the, here's the short version that's relevant to our story, because obviously he had a long career and did many things. But um, Woodrow Wilson was a racist piece of shit. Oh, wonderful. And when he took office, he had ordered the segregation of races at the Treasury Department and the U.S. Post Office. No. So since the Civil War, black people and white people were integrated. And then Woodrow Wilson was like, no, actually, let's stay segregated. Um, so the Treasury, Interior and State Departments had like black bathrooms and white bathrooms and all of that fucking shit. Now, I didn't know this. So I'm like, you know, in my research, I'm like my fury level like immediately spikes. Right. Oh, of course. Um, he was apparently a Southern guy and a Southern racist. And at that, in this period of time, Washington, D.C. is kind of considered more of a Southern town than it is a Northern one. I feel like today we consider it part of the North, but... I know, but I can see that just because, like, Maryland was part of the South, and you know. Yeah. It's, like, right there. A, a lot of <laughs> shit happened right... Is it the Mason-Dixon line? Doesn't it, isn't it, like, not that far? I don't even remember. Sure. I'm a terrible historian. I'm a terrible historian. So, um, but but he basically rolled back a bunch of progress uh, immediately. Like uh, immediately upon taking office in 1913, he rolled back a ton of these more more quote progressive. I'm putting it in quote marks because I don't even believe I have to call it that, but I guess I I have to in that in that framework. Um, and you know, no one was happy about this. And and historically speaking. A lot of, there was like a huge number of black men that went and fought for the U.S. in World War I. Absolutely. And when they came back to the, and in World War I and in Europe, they did not experience like the virulent racism that was happening here. And so when they came back from World War I and they're dealing with all of these like, seg these segregation laws and all this racism, it was very much, um, not a reverse culture shock, but like it was infuriating because it's like they had seen how it wasn't like that other places and, and they were like, oh, yeah, actually, it doesn't have to be this way. So why is it this way? And people were more people were more um, active, activated, I guess, to say about what had been going on in the country. Um, and there is this summer, the summer of 1919, apparently uh, there was a there's a poet named James Weldon Johnson. He was a poet and an activist, and he was also a field secretary for the NAACP. Um, and a reminder, NAACP stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, right? Um, he called the summer of 1919 the Red Summer in the United States. Oh, it was really? a season of blood in America. And mm -hmm. from April to November of 1919, the U.S. experienced a huge number of, quote, race wars 
uh, all across the United States. There were riots in 26 cities at least. There were record number of lynchings. Um, By the end of that specific year, 76 black men would be lynched, which was the most in a decade. Mm. Um, And most of these riots were white mobs getting like uppity about fake crimes Mm. that black people were accused of committing. Like maybe there were like maybe some of them were real, but most of them were like newspapers, like the equivalent of today's clickbait, right? Where like, let's put a big headline to sell more papers. Mm. Um, these like white newspapers would put these shocking headlines about white men attacking or black men attacking white women. And then suddenly the white people in the town are like pulling black people out of their houses. And like, like this was, ha- this was happening across the United States. Um, so, you know, Racism is not pre-Civil War history. This is 19, This is 1919. This is your grandmother's time. This is the, the period your grandmother lived in, and my grandmother too. Um, so uh, in Washington, unfortunately, did not escape the Red Summer. It wasn't much different. Um, and specifically, uh, the particular race riot that happens in Washington in 1919 that is part of Carrie Johnson's story Um, it was really incited by two different newspaper men. Um, one was named Calvin Chase and one was Ned McLean. Um, and Ned McLean was a rich piece of shit. His wife apparently had like bought the hope diamond, um, amongst other shitty things that they did. (laughs) The hope diamond being like the largest diamond, right? Isn't that like the largest? Yeah. I hope she choked on it. They got divorced is all I know. (laughs) And there's this like silly picture of the two of them with this like ridiculously groomed poodle. Oh, and it's just like, I was like, of course, the only thing more disgusting than, you know, bigoted, rich white people from now is bigoted, rich white people from history. (laughs) I feel like in fact, maybe they're the same people. I mean, they're definitely probably like ancestors. (laughs) Um, and so, okay, so so Calvin Chase was uh, a black man. So his paper was black. He was from a free black family. They had been free for generations. Um, very well educated. Um, and he took over his newspaper, The Washington Bee. Um, and he had been writing for a really long time. Um, Ned McLean, the white piece of shit, um, he was a publisher of The Washington Post. At the age of 30, nonetheless. Um, he inherited doctor. it from his daddy. Of course he did. He inherited it from his daddy. And a vast fortune and all these other things. And um, So, basically, what happens is the racial tension is happening all over the country. And it's, it's, it's more or less kind of in the air everywhere. And Calvin Chase is like, hmm, like maybe we can, you know... Maybe we can drum up some some interest in the paper. Maybe we can take advantage of this racial tension, and um, let's publish some some you know explosive news. And so they started to like post a bunch of rumors, uh, stories, which now I'm calling rumors because they obviously weren't real stories about white men being sexually assaulted by black men. 
And um, on July 9th, the NAACP was sending letters and they were like, they basically were calling them out and being like, these stories have no basis in foundation. What are you doing? And they just ignored it and they kept publishing. Um, and, and then on July 15th, a couple days later, the post, uh, one of the other Washington papers described another incident in an amusement park where two black men allegedly pulled a gun on a white woman and assaulted her. Later, that woman recanted the story. Um, But two days later, the Washington Times, which was another white paper, carried this front page headline, Another Girl is Attacked Here. Sure. Um, And and basically the tinderbox that had been kind of building really explodes. And um, police were rounding up black men and like black men, like not even close to where the alleged crimes were happening. It was like any black man could be suspect rounding them up with no, like all of this is like highly illegal or should be, should have been highly illegal. I don't know at the time, like what the literal laws on the books were, um, but the city just kind of devolves into insanity. Um, but the, the city also like had a, had a, pretty healthy black population it wasn't like all white people and just a few black people and so black people also like were were they were not just like running and hiding they were like fighting back and standing up for their houses and they were like throwing bricks at policemen who are coming to arrest people and stuff like that and i i hate to like even say that out loud like except I don't want to make it, you know, there's a fine line and we're both white people. We have to acknowledge that. Right. And we're talking about really Absolutely. important yeah. incidents specifically for black history. But um, it wasn't like black people getting mad at white people. The white people instigated it and black people fought back and defended themselves. And for me, I find, you know, I, I see no crime. Right. <laughs> like well, yeah. att- I mean, if somebody just yourself. decided that they were going to send in like stormtroopers into my building. I would defend my neighbors. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So anyway, this this whole this this whole incident kind of takes place over the course of a week where where the whole city was just kind of like devolved into this. And in the middle of all this, we have Ben Carson and his 17-year-old daughter Carrie. And they lived in a neighborhood that was very mixed race, like it wasn't specifically one or the other, but that those kinds of neighborhoods were also some of the most like racially tense neighborhoods because you had everybody, you know, all, all mixed around together. Yeah. Um, and Ben, you know, they weren't idiots. They knew what was going on. And Ben uh, obtained a 38 caliber rifle yeah. so that he could defend himself if someone, like, came into their house or something. Like, in the midst of all these riots, you want to defend yourself, right? Sure. Um, but they apparently were, like, holed up in their apartment and they didn't, they weren't out on the streets. They weren't inciting anything. They really just were like let's just stay inside and not be part of whatever this craziness is and try to defend ourselves. But in the meantime, outside of their apartment, um, black residents were on the roofs of their houses and they were throwing rocks at some of the white people who had gathered trying to like arrest or harass black people. Right. Um, And apparently there was um, a musician coming back from a late night gig who heard somebody shout, get the N word. Uh, I'm not going to say the N-word. I don't like to do that. I don't think we should. Uh, And then uh, a brick hits a police officer in the head. And then gunshots erupt into the middle of all of this. And pretty quickly, a car full of, like, 
white men come rolling up right next to the alley next to the Johnson's house. And there was more gunfire and some police arrive. And, uh, Within minutes, there's like two army trucks and a dozen Marines, and they're kind of like all around the neighborhood. And there's some people on the ground that say, hey, a bunch of shots came from the second floor of that building. Now, that building that they pointed to was the building that Ben and Carrie were hiding in. Um, And so what basically happens is that the police raid the apartment, and they're looking around and they don't find anybody. Like they're like Carrie and Ben were hiding under the bed. And one of the detectives, Detective Wilson was his name, is like, no, there's gotta be somebody here. And he like gets down on the floor, looks under the bed, and a shot rings out from under the bed. And the other police officers pull out Carrie from under the bed and her dad. A whole bunch of gunfire rings out, first of all. The police officers shoot the hell out of him. Carrie has a bullet hole in her leg, 17-year-old Carrie. Her dad was shot as well. Um, but the gun apparently was was laying next to Carrie, and and she was the one who fired the gun at the, the detective. Sure. The detective who <laughs> was there investigating the, quote, crimes sure. that were happening in that apartment. Um, and this detective ends up dying. Um uh, and Carrie and her dad are both arrested and they are taken to trial separately. Um, at the end of all the riots, by the way, compared to other race riots that were happening in this time period in Washington at this week, uh, at the end of it, five black men were killed and four white men, which was actually a relatively low number compared to some of the other cities where riots were happening. Um, But hundreds of men and women had been arrested. Many were injured. There were tons still in the jails. Um, And the fallout for this, I'm not going to go into like all of the, the rest of that, but that's like, you know, I needed to give you guys the context for what happened. So Carrie and her dad are both charged with first degree murder. And they are held in a D.C. jail for the next 18 months. And um, there's the U.S. Attorney General at the time, John Lasky, and his prosecutors were preparing for the trial. So this was like U.S. Attorney General. Well, it was Washington, D.C., I guess, so that makes sense. But at the very beginning of all of it, the black community really rallied around Carrie to, to try to help her and Ben out. Ben, her dad, by the way, was a Mason. So he was part of that huge Mason community that sure. had been around for you know, hundreds of years. They're very, very well established. Um, and at first, um, she was being described as kind of a little, a little heroine, our Joan of Arc, our Charlotte Corday. Charlotte Corday, by the way, we haven't done her on this podcast, but she was a French revolutionary and she assassinated the Jacobin leader, Jean-Paul Marat. I haven't covered that. That she should, she's about to I know, I was going to say, now we know what we're going to But, uh, there was a quote from the guy that was defending her that said, quote, Carrie Johnson faced death like a little rabbit in a corner, fired upon point blank by Officer Wilson and others. Um, and he put together uh, like a fashion show to help raise some money for her to cover her legal expenses. And they raised $1,300, which back then is a lot of money. Um, and he kind of had this whole, like he, he really was playing up kind of the self-defense of Carrie's story that she, that she, they were being the police had like come into their apartment guns blazing and she was just defending herself um but apparently at the same time you know all these things are moving potentially in a good direction for carrie 
Um, her dad turns against her. Ben was facing the death penalty for his crimes. Mm. Um, and then he agrees to testify against Carrie. And then in November of 1920, he's released on $200 bond and he's listed as a witness for the government in Carrie's trial, wow. which I was not able to find more research about how that went down and why that went down. Um, I imagine part of it was like trying to avoid the, the death penalty part of it and thinking that I'm sure, you know, but anyway, so his trial happened first and then, and then he was released as a, as a witness. And then Carrie's trial is, has come to pass. Um, and her, her dad has gotten off the hook, which like really makes her look like the guilty one, whether or not that was how it should have been. Like that's how it looks right in the eyes of the law. Um, and all that. And, the the news story started to kind of shift against her and the people who had been like rallying for her kind of at the beginning seemed to kind of disappear. The fundraising disappeared. Um, and she didn't have a lot of support, but she did have um, one particular guy, Reverend William Jernigan, who was a Baptist preacher uh, and president of the National Race Congress. Um, he came to her defenses as well as a, a veteran attorney, Benjamin Gaskins, um, and he, uh, he had had a long history um, with a family of doctors and lawyers and professionals, and he took over her case after kind of the earlier arguments and the earlier case that was building kind of fell apart with, with the shift of her dad, right? Um, and then in January 1921, a jury of white, 12 white men, they hear the case U.S. versus Carrie Johnson for murder in the first degree. Um, and the government called in a dozen police officers to testify. Ben Johnson did not apparently testify against her, which sl a slight relief, even though ultimately against her. I wonder what well. happened there. Yeah, I wish I don't. I don't feel like um, I wish I had more time to research and see if I could dig it, dig it out. But in the initial articles I read, that was um, that's all. That's all I know. Um, and then there was this like really decisive moment in the trial when her loyal lawyer argued that Carrie had acted in self-defense. Um, and the US, the assistant US attorney objected and was like, this girl doesn't have anything to fear uh, from the armed men invading her home. Um, and she, he's like, quote, in a corner of a dark room, back of a bed, the defendant occupied a position of comparative safety. Absolutely. End quote. Um, quote oh, oh, no, wait, it's not the end of the quote. There's more. Quote, it can hardly be ser seriously contended that it was anything in the language or conduct of the four detectives in the room or before they had entered it to engender in the mind of the defendant a reasonable belief that she was in an imminent danger. That's the end of the quote. Um, fucking insane. Like, like, like yeah, four white cops like blazing into the room. Oh, my God. I just can't. Um, but I also think there is something to be said for the fact that, like, the argument of self-defense was like a white person's argument, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, that, like, that's what was at the heart of it, right? Um, like, she had nothing to fear. Yeah. And then on top of all this other bullshit, you know, after the witnesses were all done testifying, the prosecutor pulls some some extra bullshit. Extra bullshit. It's not enough bullshit already. There's extra bullshit. Um, where he like announces to the jury. So the jury's not supposed to know the trial or what's really going on, right? That's part of jury selection. 
generically and has been for a really long time. But in front of the jury, the prosecutor's like, oh, by the way, the charges against her dad were dropped. And like the, the same. And the judge was like, uh, like, so no, actually her, her lawyer, her defense lawyer objected and was overruled. But the jury, like the jury heard it and the damage is done. Right. And it makes Carrie look guilty, even though it has literally nothing to do with her trial. It's literally a totally separate thing. Right. right yeah. Um, and so the jury convenes um, and they do, after a, a brief deliberation, apparently they do convict Carrie, but they do not convict her for first degree murder. And in what was very unusual, and I don't even know if this is allowed anymore, they return a verdict of manslaughter instead of first-degree murder. Um, and the difference is manslaughter was not a capital crime. Um, so even though it was a white jury for the trial of a, a black girl, let's call her a girl, she's 17. Absolutely. Um, they did at least have like a little whatever shred of sympathy that, that would take her, you know, taking, making it not a capital crime means she can't get the death penalty for it. Right. Um, so her lawyer asked for bail and the judge sets bond at $5,000, which is about the equivalent of 75,000 today. Um, and the Reverend puts the money up for her. Thank God. Like he was there. Um, and, uh, she gets, so she's out on bail, uh, and the case kind of continues to weaken and, you know, they, they file for like a retrial, right? Um, they, they want to have a new trial enacted. The evidence is so weak, like a week. Uh, and the government's case like keeps getting weaker and weaker. And finally the U S attorney just drops the charges. Oh, thank God. But still. So on June 21st, there's a really tiny, tiny story. Of course it was tiny. Um, on an inside page of the post, which read, released in riot killing, Carrie Johnson colored, freed in death of Detective Wilson. So Carrie was released and, she, you know, I, I, I don't have much more about what happened to her after this. But how scary. I mean, especially in those kind of times, especially when the world around you seems to be devolving and yes. people are supposed to believe that this girl, like you said, definitely 17 year old girl, isn't terrified by four detectives, like, you know, after her dad told her to hide under a bed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's interesting, like, the you know, in, in the research I was reading, there was, like, varied accounts of, of what happened that night, right, when the cops went in. And, like, mm -hmm. some of the accounts were, like, they shot first, and so she shot in self-defense. And some were, like, they didn't shoot first. They were just your neighborhood-friendly detectives. Oh, yeah. You know, and in the light of all the things that, as a country, we've experienced in the last five, <laughs> six years, you know, it's... Like, yeah. I don't trust anything the police say. Like, and I love, you know, I know that there are good police officers. I have some cousins that are police officers who are great police officers. Like, I but, mean, of but course, there's, but there's also the evil ones. And there's also a brotherhood, right? There's also like, you know, even if other people in the room don't know that that's not true, like that, they're, you know, there's a, there's a huge defense of, you know, especially in history. And I'd, I'd like to think that's shifting now with the invention of, you know, body cams. I'd like to think that I, I, obviously we still see lots of examples where that's not true, but. 
Or they figure out how to unplug them. I mean, you know. Yeah. But it's, I just can't even imagine, like, I try not to get emotional on the podcast, but I, I always do. Like, I try to imagine, like, 17-year-old Carrie, like, these men coming into her house and thinking that she's going to be killed. And not even, you know, you don't know they're even detectives. They just they just barge their way in. And, like, when I was 17, like, when I was 17, like, your brain's not to fucking developed. Well, no. And, and then, and, like, and, and, you know, dad's saying, like, go over here, be quiet, whatever, you know. Like, we don't know what the conversation is. And with Rick's was. flying outside of your window and with, you know, rioting happen, happening everywhere and people dying and, like, I don't know, like... I just feel a lot of emotions for for a fucking seventeen year old girl stuck in the middle of it. Absolutely. And then and then who's brought to to a capital trial, a capital murder trial? Um, well, especially like, in those may, days. I mean, and maybe you could like maybe someone can say it was all an accident and that the cops weren't going to shoot at them, but it just doesn't fucking matter. Like these things never should have happened, and she never should have had to go to capital trial as a seventeen year old. And, like, whatever happened with her dad and the, like, that's all. It's a whole separate ball of shit. But, um, anyway, I just, what an interesting time period. And I didn't, I did not know about the Red Summer. And I don't and know that I've ever heard that, that term before. So that really is interesting to me. I mean, I knew that there were times when the violence was worse and all of those other things. But I had never heard it described as that. You yeah. Know? How terrifying. How fucking terrifying. I mean, I I get terrified when I, like, learn more about the L.A. riots that happened, like, only in the 90s, right? That, like, that was in both of our lifetimes. Absolutely. And, like, you can still see the scars of it, like, sometimes. And there are people who live here now that were, like, lived through that and had their stores ransacked and burned and all this stuff. And, like, how fucking scary mob mentality and rioting is, like, at its real heart. And, um, man, I just... I wish times were different. I like wish this wasn't still happening. Like, why would this still even fucking happens? I don't even know. And and it seems to be like it's not even just the U.S. It happens and it it happens other places too. No, but. I mean we're, we we see horrible horrible things happening all over the world. But but it's important I think for us to tell these stories and for us to know like, you know, a frustrating thing for me as a white person is to feel like other like other white people don't know the history and they don't realize how much bullshit has actually happened. Yeah. And and I, you know, I think that's part of the reason I feel like it's important to tell stories like Carrie's and, and to talk about all of these historical events that were not in my history books. I, I didn't hear about the Tulsa race riot or the Washington riots or the Red Summer. So yeah. I, I feel like the closest thing to a story like that we were ever told when I was a kid was like the integration of schools. Yeah. Well, it was like yeah. Rosa Parks and MLK Absolutely. marching. Yeah. But it was you never, know. it was, I mean, it was never oh, let's talk about that summer when... Yeah. But, you know, they also don't talk about how a lot of Black activists in the civil rights era were also, like, heavily stalked by the FBI. Oh, yeah, And absolutely. some of them were assassinated. Like, we don't really talk about that, do we? We don't really talk <laughs> about how, like, it was our own organizations, our own governments. It was the police. Um, and we talk about the audience. Maybe you remember that uh, episode on Lucy Parsons. I don't know if you know oh, about yeah. her, Amelia. But, like... She is this epic um, labor activist and, quote, anarchist, because that was the Labor Party back then was the anarchist party. Um, but, like, 
her office is getting burned down and shit and like her yeah the fbi had like this whole huge case file against her and that's the shit we gotta keep talking about they want you to tell the line well i'm not towing the line (laughs) you know and we're not towing the line this podcast thank you for for joining me for this absolutely mark chapter but on an excellent broad um who defended herself and Thank goodness had some great supporters to help her through it. I just don't even, I couldn't even imagine if like the Reverend hadn't been there and that defense lawyer, like what would have happened to her? I don't even know. Yeah. But um, there's angels there like throughout throughout history too. So it's cool to acknowledge those folks too. Absolutely. Well, I'll come back on anytime. Ah, love having you. (laughs) And um, thank you for being here, Amelia. To learn more about Carrie Johnson, see pictures of her, and quotes from this episode, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page and read more about me and Amelia. Our bios, photos, links to all of our cool stuff, all right there. Are you following Broads You Should Know on social yet? We are on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube now at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you are a fan of this podcast, help spread the word about us. Share an episode with your friends or family or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You also can give us listens, likes, and comments on YouTube now. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you were really intrigued with this story about Carrie Johnson, I highly suggest that you check out a few of our other activist broads we've got lucy parsons merle evers Polly murray dorothy bolden and ella joe baker see you next week for another broad you should know <laughs>